0: Good, good morning, everyone. Welcome to St.
1: Thomas's Church. You can come on down. What's that? Yeah, that's, that's that's okay. We're we're working it out. We're working it out. All's well. Um, once again, welcome to St. Thomas's Church. It's our joy to have you here. If you're just joining us this Sunday, um, please know that we are um, sort of in the middle of a sermon series called "Love Your Neighbor," and of course. Uh, one thing that I would argue is that if you, uh, if you want to sum up the whole of the Christian message about how God feels about us and about how we should feel about others, it is love your neighbor. And last week, uh, we really focused on how Jesus defined this idea of neighbor as we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that, what we saw was that not only is all of humanity our neighbor, but our neighbor, the one we're called to love with everything, includes even our enemies. Now, today, I want to uh, continue to look at this idea of who is our neighbor. But this week, instead of looking at it from the new, I want to look at it from the old. Old, Because I think not only will it um, enhance our understanding of what it means to love our neighbor enemies, but I think it's also incredibly helpful to to see that the gospel and the teachings of the old are the same as of the new. I mean, of, of the New Te- Testament are the same as the old. And so with that, we come to this story of a, of a Naaman, and our reader did an excellent job, did an excellent job here getting through all the Old Testament names and. Um, uh, one of my favorite things to do to people I love is to give them like the genealogies, you know, from the Old Testament or from the beginning, and just not even prepare them for it. Just pull a Hamilton last minute, put it on your plate, and just watch them struggle through. Right? It's sort of a sick pleasure. I get sorry about, about that, but no, you did a wonderful job. But if you're coming to uh, the story for for the first time, it can be somewhat. Confusing, right? I mean, on its face, it's a great story of this young girl trying to help out her master. But actually, I think for us to really see what's going on here and to hear the beautiful story of the gospel that we have here, we need to unpack it. We need to look at it. So uh, some some background, some history about 700, 800 years before Jesus was uh, born, uh, before he began his earthly ministry, the nation of Israel was at war. With the nation of Syria. Just to its north. And, it was, and Israel uh, was always a weaker military power. And what you have is this great man Naaman. Who is literally the top general in the entire Syrian army. It is his job to organize raids and attacks and battles into Israeli territory. And what would happen on, on these attacks, and it was both ways, so nobody's hands are clean. But what would happen on these attacks was that as, the, as these troops would uh, go in, they would go in, into villages and they wouldn't just occupy them, but more than likely they would burn them down. They would steal all of the livestock or all of the stored grain. More than likely they would kill every male Certainly, those of uh, military age. And then they would take away, literally take away young girls and their mothers. And they'd take them all the way back, hundreds of miles, back to their capital city, in this case, of Damascus. And though Naaman wasn't on this raid, his soldiers had captured this. Little girl, probably um, I got my uh, Hebrew scholar Shaya Gregory on this. It's great to uh, delegate. It's always important to get people smarter than than you around you. And and um, and as we talked Shay said this this little girl would have probably be, been between you know no no uh, younger than about seven or eight, but certainly no older than twelve or thirteen. And she would have come into the court, and she would have been the servant to his wife. Now, that sounds nice and to some extent if you have to be a slave, right? You may as well be one, uh, but to, to, to the commander's wife. But actually, um, in this culture, if you were the slave girl of your master's wife, then that would, would mean that if your master's wife could not pr- produce children, you would fill that role. So in short, here was this young slave girl who was serving this man, whose commands had literally robbed her of everything. Her home, her family, her parents, her friends, aunts, uncles, t- dragged her into a foreign land to serve Her enemy and maybe serve him in more ways than she would ever want to. But on top of that, and I think certainly for a devout Israelite, the worst part was is when you were captured by the Syrians or or any invading army and put into a slavery, you were also required to announce to publicly renounce your faith and worship or at least attend worship of their gods. And of course, if you know anything about the Israelites, they may be all kinds of things, but if they're not followers of Yahweh, they are no one. That's what they hold the most precious and the most dear to their hearts. And this man, Naaman, had robbed her of everything. I'll tell you what I would do. If someone who did that to to me got leprosy, I would rejoice. Be like, that's right. You don't mess with this, right? You don't mess with Yahweh and his people. You do that. And and this disease, this illness, and and if you don't know leprosy, um, the way it kills you, it's actually quite awful. It doesn't self-kill you. It kills the nerve endings in, in your body. You can't feel anything. And so um, if you're walking through life, especially think about, you know, ninth century, eighth century BC, you know, what would be on the ground and what might be in the air and these these kinds of things. If you're walking through and you cut your foot and you don't, you don't it doesn't hurt. So it gets bacteria, and it gets infected and you die a slow, painful death with various body parts falling off, which if somebody did this, To me, what they did to the slave girl, that's exactly how I'd want it to go down with them, right? Slow, painful, monotonous, smelly, just vengeance, beautiful, beautiful vengeance. But what's shocking here, yes, this is in the Old Testament, where a lot of times people expect, you know, vengeance in the old, love in the new. But actually, we see something quite surprising, don't we? What does this young slave girl do? She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, the northern part of Israel. He would cure him of his leprosy. Did you hear that? What is she doing? The person that she hates the most, that she should revel in the destruction of the the most, she's encouraging him, giving him the opportunity to be healed. Now, footnote here, we can assume all kind of motives here. We can assume maybe he's, you know, kill him with kindness or, or, you know, if I, you know, sort of a karma thing. If I'm nice to him, then maybe God will be nice to, to, to me. But that idea of how God worked was not in the mind of the Israelites, certainly not of the ones that were of the book. No, I think what's happening here is a tremendous miracle miracle of a young girl who knows truly the the promise and the love of her God, Yahweh, who you can imagine. And once again, we're using our imaginations here. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's within the the fabric of of the Bible as a whole. You can imagine that this young girl, she's lost everything, is falling to her knees and praying to, to Yahweh and relying upon his promises of love and forgiveness. And she's realizing more and more the goodness of God to her. Even in the darkest of situations. And something supernatural happens. She begins to see Naaman as her neighbor. And she grew up hearing, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, that love your neighbor as yourself is actually in the Old Testament. And she began to love Naaman. Love him. Seek his greatest blessing. And so, of course, there's so much richness in the story. We're not going to do it all today. But, of course, we see he goes and and he goes and sees the prophet Elisha. And he goes and he bathes himself and and, and he's healed. And verse 15, which I forgot our our reader to, to ask, says this. Then he returned to the man of God. And all his company. This is uh, Naaman, of course. And all of his company. And he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. And of course, he didn't. uh, Elisha didn't receive because he didn't sell the gospel. But here we have Elisha. I mean, here we have Naaman. Who, by the generosity Of the very God that he sought to stamp out in Israel. Has healed him. Transformed his heart. Given him the gift which money could not buy. And he's overwhelmed with this undeserved love. Not just from the slave girl. But from the slave girl's God. Who he commanded her to renounce. And he even takes. This is my favorite part. There's so much here. He takes a sack of Israel dirt back with him. So when he goes back to Damascus, he can put that on the ground and pray to Yahweh, no longer to the old gods, but to Yahweh on that ground. It's kind of like this, one of my dearest friends growing up, he is, uh, his uh, last name is Heritage and never was a man better named, because this guy loved being from South Carolina and the the heritage that that brought more than anyone else I've I've ever met. uh, but when uh, but uh, before his daughter and his son was born, he asked me a strange request because he's in the Air Force. He asked me if I would get a bag of dirt from Mount Pleasant mix with some Sullivan's Island beach sand and send that to him. And I said, yes, of course I'll do that. But why? And he said, because when my children are born, I'm going to grab them right out of the womb and stamp their feet in South Carolina dirt. <laughs> that's a that's a true story. But that's exactly the same kind of thing, right? He he wants to live in this place of knowing this forgiving God of Yahweh. So powerful. And as the Lord is generous, he gave us an amazing example of that this week, didn't he? How many of you have been following the whole Amber Geiger story? Of course, this is the story about the um, Houston police officer who... uh, After a long shift, um, actually went to the wrong door in her apartment complex. And when she heard someone inside, instead of doing the wise thing, which is to leave and call the police, even though she was one. Instead of retreating from the situation, instead of not escalating, uh, the testimony in court showed that both through her Facebook page, but also also through her uh, through her own um, testimony that um, she was defensive about being a police officer. She wanted to confront things. She wanted to be aggressive in the carrying out of her duties. And so she said, I'm going to show this guy. He doesn't come into my apartment. He doesn't take over. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show him that he can't do that to me. And so she confronted him. And as many of us know, tragically, she shot this poor man in his own home who wasn't armed with anything but a bowl of ice cream. And so, of course, this goes to a trial and the testimony comes out and she's convicted. And then once the conviction comes out, it's the sentencing time. And then they invite uh, family members to come and share They're a testimony. And then it came to both and Jean's brother. Both and Jean was the man who was killed. And it came to his brother, Brandt, And he was giving his testimony. And if you haven't seen it, it's beautiful. It's it's of of a different dimension of love. Not only did he forgive her. But he said, my greatest prayer for you is that you would come to know the love of Jesus Christ. You would give your heart to him. You would surrender to him. And then possibly unparalleled in history. He turned to the judge and said, can I go over there and give her a hug? There We have it. If you haven't seen it, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. As he runs over and gives her the deepest embrace, and she embraces him back, watching the, the shame melt away and tears and love and forgiveness. She had taken a beautiful person from his life, but because his heart was changed by Jesus Christ, he loved her as Christ had loved him. It almost applies itself, doesn't it? But I'm the king of the obvious, so I'm going to give us three applications. The first one is this. It's, a, it's an important one, but maybe drier, but I th- still think it's important. In my ministry, I'm talking with people that are curious about the Christian faith. They've got questions about the Christian faith. And these are people that have also grown up in the church as well. One of the questions that I hear all the time is, well, Isn't the Old Testament just about punishment and wrath and God waiting there with the hammer ready to pound you whenever you sin? And Jesus comes in and changes that and says, don't forget about all that law stuff. It's just love and forgiveness and grace. And I used to think that, in fact, the first Christian heresy was uh, as soon as the church left uh, Jerusalem, there was this man named Marcion who taught that there were two different gods and and that the true God was was, uh, Jesus and came to defeat the God of the Old Testament along the same lines. But I think this and many, many other examples show us that that's just not true. The God of the old is the same as the God of the the new. There is just as much grace, certainly many more stories of grace, in the Old Testament as there are in the new. Whatever concerns you have, whatever wrestlings you have with the Old Testament, I understand there are parts of it that are hard to understand. But what I want you to do is to to take a step back and look at the big picture and remember that what we have is story after story, not just of little Israelite girls forgiving their enemies. But God, Yahweh, healing and, for, and forgiving those who seek to try to destroy him and his people. So that's the first thing. The God of the old is the same as the God of the new. There's just as much Jesus in the old as there is in in the new. But that brings us to the second one. Maybe there's some of you in this room who are curious about the Christian faith. Maybe what you saw kind of kind of uh, 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 kind of brought you back as you watched this man embrace this, this murder of his brother. And maybe you're curious, maybe you're saying, well, why why did he do this? Is he trying to win points with God? Is he trying to uh, earn his way? If he forgives, then then, then that erases some of his sins. But if if you're asking those questions, questions which cut right to the heart of the Christian faith, let me encourage you that this story is not just about something that happened 800 years ago. It's about what God still does in the person of Jesus Christ to us right now. Who are we in the story? I'll, I'll tell you who I'm not. I am not the slave girl, right? <laughs> she is better than, than, than I am. I'm Naaman. I'm the one who, in my own way, declares my own war against God and uses his people and, and sins against them and lives for myself. And yet, Jesus Christ, the true <laughs> uh, prophet, the true and better Elisha. Points me to the healing waters of the Holy Spirit who cleanses me and transforms me, and God welcomes me into His family, though in my heart I am the greatest of enemies to Him. And there's nothing that I can do to ever negate that love. Isn't that beautiful? To those repeat offenders, right? To to those people like me who continue to sin and sin after Jesus, bath after Jesus bath, the water never runs out. The forgiveness never runs dry. And what's true for me is true for Amber Geiger and is true for you. And of course, that brings us to our last application. And of course, it's it's an encouragement to those of us who, by God's generosity, have been touched, have felt this, have been naming. And the Lord has made us his own and cleansed us and transformed us and showed us grace when when we deserved it the least. And He's changed our heart. And we're asking, Lord, what do I do with this great love that I have for you? And the answer is here for all of us. We love as we have been loved. We forgive as we have been forgiven. And you see what's so beautiful about this story as well from uh, from from uh, the standpoint of an example for us is look at the aggressiveness, the activity of God's people here. They weren't passively forgiving. They weren't passively loving. They weren't forgiving by not taking revenge. They were active. The slave girl saw that her heart melted for her greatest enemy, and she stepped out in courage and faith and shared that God could heal him. Elisha stepped out and showed him how he could be healed. And every single one of us as ambassadors of Christ, forgiving, love where we live, work, play and learn what a wonderful example for us to follow when we're saying, "Lord, what does it look like to love our neighbors as ourselves? I want to. How do I do it?" But of course, the tale, the sting of this, is that our neighbors aren't just those that we live, work, play and learn with, but they're those who might be our greatest enemies that we live, work, play, and learn with. And it is there that we know not just who our neighbor is or how to love them, but more importantly, we come to know that this is the way that our Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reached out of heaven, grabbed us, his neighbor enemies, and loved us into his family. And this is good news for us namens indeed. 아멘